We're going to pray. We're going to get into the word. We have been doing, um, you know, we started out talking about the love of God. And then last week we kind of did a workshop kind of thing. And we did. How many of you got something out of that last week? Yeah. How many of you actually did something with what you got? Yes, because that's important. Because I don't like when people leave church and they just like, oh, you preaching to change my life. Because then I'm like, what happened? Because I always want to know. Because I'm a processor. It changed. How did it change? What happened? What did you do different? Then like it changed how I think. Okay, what action changed? No, oh, you just got excited about what I said. I don't want you to just be excited. I want you to be transformed. So let's pray. I told you that last week we were going to do this week, we're going to basically do that exercise in a little more depth, okay? So let's pray and let's go. Most gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that because of Jesus, we have been redeemed, we have been restored, and we now have the right to come boldly to your throne. We thank you that in your presence, we find the wisdom for everything that we need. We thank you that there is no lack in you, that there is complete freedom in you. We thank you that you are for us and not against us. We thank you that no weapon formed against us shall prosper and that even when the enemy comes in, that like a flood, you lift up a standard against him. And so, God, we have great expectation that as we hear the word today, we will be changed because that is the promise that the word is a changing agent. So we position our hearts to be changed and we give you praise in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. If you believe that you are going to shift even bigger, go ahead and give the Lord some praise. So we were talking about how we started out in Romans 12 and 2, and we were talking about what? What are we talking about? Okay. I got great wait time. And we're going to be here together till the kids get through anyway. So, okay. What, what does Romans 12 and 2 talk about, guys? I'm not you, Nitra. I mean, if you, now for real, if you have been to this church five times, you have heard this scripture used. What does Romans 12 and 2 talk about? What? transforming the mind. And we talked about how to transform the mind. We have to participate in it. So just as a note to yourself, like if you were like, what is one scripture I should absolutely know at Fellowship of Champions? Romans 12 and 2 is the scripture you should absolutely know because everything else we will ever teach will be founded on your ability to transform your thinking. Romans 12 and 2, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. You didn't get saved until you renewed your mind about Jesus being, being your savior. You can't have a good marriage unless you renew your mind. You can't change your finances unless you renew your mind. You won't change your health and fitness unless you renew your mind. You won't change your money unless you cha- renew your mind. Every single area of your life is determined by your thinking. Say this out loud. Say, I am a product of my thoughts. You wear your thoughts. We look at you. We know what you think about all kinds of stuff. So this scripture is so important because if we don't change our thinking, we can't change our lives. And so last week we started talking about, I am the result. My life today is the sum total of my most dominant thoughts, the things that I think and I believe about myself. We talked about how it doesn't matter that God says you're amazing if you still say you suck. It doesn't matter that God says you can make it if you say you're not. 
Because God is not going to override your will to change your life. Could you look at your neighbor and tell them that and say, God, God will, not will not override your will, override your will to, change your life. to change your life. That's why he says, today I set before you life and death. I love this. This is an open book test. He says, today I set before you life and death. You don't know which one to pick? Choose life. I'm going to give you the answer. Choose life. Choosing life means choosing to think the way God thinks. I said this last week, and I really, I'm kind of going to start here a little bit today. And I told you, I said, there are a lot of nice people who have a negative mindset. And just because you're nice doesn't mean you think like God. Because you can be a nice person who's all, every time something goes wrong, now you in a pity party, now you in the, here's the language, it's always like this, I never get ahead, I knew it was going to happen just like this. So you can be a really, really nice person, but be a really negative person. And one of the cycles that we see that show up in a lot is relationships. Ever been in an argument with somebody and they say, you say, I knew that that's what was going to happen? And the thing you knew wasn't a good thing, you got a negative mindset. Because now you, you, and what you say is, but that's the way they always are. But because you believe that's the way they always are, you aren't even open to how God would give you something different to say that would create change. So now you think that the cycle keeps repeating themselves because they are the way they always are, but you are also the way you always are. Ah. Yeah. Because most of us, in reality, we want change to occur at the hands of someone else. That's the truth. If we're in a relationship and our relationship is in conflict, most of us believe that if the other person would just change, everything would be amazing. Right? Anybody? What? It's funny because I'll be talking to people, right? And I can always tell when people are ready to transition. Because when people aren't ready to transition, they talk to me about the other person in the problem. When people are ready to transition, they talk to me about themselves. So when you come to talk to me about your marriage and you tell me what they need to do, you ain't ready. Because the measure is, is that I can change myself. I cannot change you. Oh, no, 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 this is so good because then what you say is, because one of our things that's my biggest fear about love is, remember that exercise? So then what people say is because they have so much fear of being rejected, being taken advantage of, being whatever, this is my favorite one. Well, I won't change until he change. So keep the cycle. Somebody has to be the cycle breaker. And what's so interesting to me about church people, I love y'all, but what's so interesting to me about church people is that church people, like, y'all like real dope on Sundays. You like, you know what? Like, I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but you can't be quiet in an argument? I thought you could do all things through Christ who strengthens you. I mean, you know, God, is he's so amazing. He's amazing and he's powerful and greater is he that is on the inside of me than he that's in the world. And the power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead will quicken your mortal body, but it won't close your mouth. <laughs> same power. 
You singing songs if he did it before, he could do it again? Ah, okay, all right. Let's go over our steps, right? I'm just trying to help us today because the, it's the thing. You know, Pastor Edwin and I, we talk, a lot of people ask us, how do we end up formulating this kind of church? How do we end up formulating the kind of church that on a Sunday morning we'd have a workshop instead of a service? Because we went to church a lot of times when they should have had a workshop with us instead of having a service. We went to church a lot of times, and I was just like, so can't nobody in here see we crazy? Like all y'all notice is how cute my skirt is. Y'all, y'all can't tell nothing. Ain't like nobody else in here knows something is wrong. So we go go to church. We go sing some songs. We go talk about how great Jesus is. We go take him to the cross all night Friday night. He go be there all day Saturday, all night Saturday night. And early Sunday morning, he go get up with all power because they always told us that all power, but nobody was ever going to tell us how to translate that power to our own lives. That's why we teach the way we teach. That's why we want you to think. That is why sometimes it's uncomfortable to be in this space. Because if you can just repeat what I'm about to say next, we can just stop and go to brunch. Egg and I got great brunch over there. They got a big room. We can all just go over there and eat. But if we're going to actually live in power, we have to be willing to do the work. So here's the question that we're going to start with. Where do you need to change? Not them, not him, not her. Where do you need to change? What's up in your thinking that has you stuck where you are. Dude, something so great happened to me this morning. Yesterday, one of my friends who's white, I'm going to tell you why it's relevant that I told you that she was white in just a second, sends me a message and she says, hey, I'm reading this book and this book has a link in it. And this link gives you the ability to take a test that shows your implicit bias in race. She says, I'm going to take the test and get my, give you my results. This morning, she texted me and she said, I'm so embarrassed. I never would have thought that I had any racial bias. But on the test, it says I do. And I was like, how much? She was like, it's for how much? Like, what are we working with? Slight bias or you almost in the clan? What are we dealing with here? And she says it's a slight bias. And then she begins to thank me for not judging her. And I begin to thank her for being courageous enough to take an exam that will reveal how she really thought. And the truth of it is, is that most of us do not put ourselves in a position to where what we really think comes out. So then when someone says to you, Black Lives Matter, you don't know why it offends you so much. When someone says to you, Women should make equal pay. You don't know why it bothers you so much. When someone says to you, every believer should speak in tongues or healing is for everybody or God wants you to be wealthy, you don't know why it bothers you because you've never dug around in your own thinking enough to know. So what you do is attack the people who say it. Because we attack what we don't understand. You know, one thing we say around here a lot, it's a core thing in our family that if everybody says something about you, it's true. If everybody, if everybody in the house say you in a bad mood today, you in a bad mood. If you keep grinning, talking about you not in a bad mood, 
You know, but everybody walk past you and they like asking other people in the family, like, what's, what's wrong with mom? <laughs> if everybody's saying it, it's true. What is the thing that everybody says about you that you keep ignoring? We could have an altar call, but then that would just let you cry and not really deal with your stuff. So we're not going to do that. (laughs) We're not going to do that. What is this thing that people keep saying about you? What name? What is it about you? Like people keep saying, oh, so I'm going to say some stuff that may seem personal, but I'm not talking about any particular person. Okay. So you don't have to get mad. Somebody keeps saying, you haven't dealt with your past because every time there is a discussion or an argument, you do X. I don't deal with my past. I'm over. No, the people that you argue with are telling you that there is nothing happening here. Listen, I told Pastor Ed when I said one of the things I want to do when, when, as our church grows and we build and stuff, I want to have a counseling staff so that when people join, they have to go through counseling so we can know what we're dealing with. Because it's hard to deliver what we don't know we're dealing with. And if you got low self-esteem and you think everybody's talking about you because girl, you grew up with a lot of people who talked about you and every time you come in the room, now somebody's talking about you, we need to know that so we know how to navigate with you through that. It's one of the reasons that companies now take these personality profiles and then put them on people's doors. So when you walk in, you know what you should say to them. <laughs> My door would say, big picture only. Pastor Elwin door would say, I need details. You come and I would love to do that because then when you gave me details, I could say, I think you're in the wrong office. <laughs> I don't think you're supposed to be here talking to me. So let's go through these steps, and then we're going to go back and rehash number five some more for the people who weren't there. So the number one step is that you have to make a decision to change. You have to make a decision. There is no change until you make a decision. How do we always know a decision has been made? How do we know? Draw a line. Good job. Good. Y'all the A class. Look at y'all. I wish I had some candy. I taught y'all some candy. Look at y'all. Uh, uh. Okay, but like, how do how can we look and tell that someone's made a decision? What, Nietzsche? Their behavior is gonna change. If I say I'm a vegetarian and we leave here and I eat a steak. I've not made a decision. And the problem is, is that sometimes you think because you've said something, you've committed to something. Just because you said it doesn't mean you're committed to it. Yeah. So you got to make a decision. Our scripture for that was Joshua 24 and 15. Write it down. Look it up. Make a decision. So one of my things that I say is that sometimes when you're in the process of making a decision, here's the state you're in. You don't know where you're going. You just know where you can't stay. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what a happy marriage looks like. But I know I'm not going to be miserable for the rest of my life. So decision puts me in position to begin to see a vision. Does that make sense? My decision puts me in position for vision to begin to unfold. 
The truth of it is, is that the reason that some of your marriages have not changed is you have not decided to be happy. Ouch and okay. You haven't decided to be happy. What you do is you have a cycle. You never really fix your stuff. You get into it. Then you do all the stuff that people do when they get into it. You at home hollering and cussing at each other. Yes, I know. You hollering and cussing at each other. And then what you say is, how do, Pastor, how do you know? Because that's what people do when they got dis- dysfunctional relationships. They holler and they cuss at each other. The way Pastor Edwin used to holler and cuss at me. <laughs> He's sitting right there. <laughs> he was so dysfunctional. No, no, it was us. Uh, yeah. Right. He go, I think he's teaching like three times next month. He go make so much stuff about me. So you have this cycle, and what people do is that it's the classic cycle. It's like, okay, something's bad. We're not going to fix it. How do I know you aren't committed to fixing it? You ain't read nothing. You don't want to go to a counselor. You, You say stuff like this. We saw a counselor four times. Now, you've been doing this crazy stuff for five years, and you talked to somebody four times, and now you say counseling don't work. You ain't exercised for one year, and now you mad because you went to the gym four times. Do you see how dumb that sounds? You have not done a push-up since the sixth grade fitness challenge. (laughs) And you are mad because you tried to do ten push-ups today, And tomorrow you can't do them without falling down. Do you see how silly that sounds? You have to understand that whatever cycles, whatever biases, whatever things that have been inbred in you will likely take you a significant amount of time to retrain your mind. If you are in a relationship and your way to cope is to fight, to curse, to say you go get divorced, to go to your separate spaces, to think about it, to feel bad, to come back and say you sorry, say we're gonna do better, but not actually do better, you gotta you got you need way more than four sessions to fix that. So because we talk we only we only dealing with really two issues this morning money and love. So you want a better marriage, but you don't want it enough to read about it. Here's my favorite. You want a better situation, but not enough to let somebody in your business. We ain't going to talk. I don't want them people all in our business. You don't want to be free. Here's a great example. Anybody who has delivered a baby can attest to this. When you get pregnant the first time, this concept of everybody seeing you naked as you deliver this baby is real tr- troubling for you. When it's time for that baby to come out, you don't care who in there. <laughs> no, this is the truth. You are so modest until it's time to push. They could have action news in there. You like as long as they get this little baby up out of here. It doesn't matter. Anybody, anybody had a baby can attest to that. Like you so modest, you don't want to buy. But when it's time for that baby, they say, put your feet up in them stairs. Your feet are up. You are open. They like, can so-and-so watch their intern? I don't care who watched. Just get the process done. As long as you care about protecting your image, you can't be free. 
as long as you care about protecting your image, you can't be free. Here was the problem with the money thing. We got weeks and weeks of teaching on money. We got people testifying. My credit score is better. My debts are being paid off. But you, people saying, I got a new job. You hate your job. You don't make enough money. But you still won't have a conversation. People's credit scores are, scores are going up. Yours isn't. But you still won't have a, as long, you cannot have your reputation and freedom in, your, in the same hand. So part of the decision making is, are you willing to give up this perception of looking like you have it all together? And here's the thing I love about people who look like they have it all together. It really is like the emperor's new clothes. Y'all remember that book? Like the emperor was naked and the whole town was pretending like they didn't know he was naked except for the little boy who said, the emperor naked. So you want to look good, you got the image going, but behind the image you jacked up. You have to make a decision that you value freedom over that. The Bible says whom the son says free is free indeed. So you have to believe freedom is yours and then go to work to get it. And here's the great thing about having a tribe like this. Because if we have a tribe like this, and I see Sparky and Tina do something really well in their marriage, I don't have to go try to figure it out by myself. I can just talk to them. I don't have to make it up and try to look at them and be like, I wonder what they're doing. It look like they're doing this. I'm going to try this. I can just ask them. I'll be like, guys, I noticed that when there's such and such going on, that y'all, can, you, like, can you give me some advice about how you do that? Make a decision that you are tired of talking about how it doesn't work and you are ready to make it work. That you're tired of talking about how it doesn't work. Like literally sometimes we're talking to people and you like talking about something that happened five years ago. You cannot be focused on the future when you're still rehashing the injury that took place five years ago. I remember five years ago when we first got married, he wouldn't share his McDonald's with me. Ever since then, like, I feel like he done put me first. <laughs> so knowing that I'm not going to stay helps me get number two. You got to get a vision. What would a happy marriage look like? Like for me and Pastor Strick, a happy marriage always involves a lot of fun and playing. It's always going to be a bunch of jokes. We always, like we, 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 you can take us anywhere in the most serious of settings and we're going to find something to laugh at. Laughing is one of the ways that we process through life because in our life we hear a lot of heaviness from people. So we just find a way to laugh, like we can laugh about anything. Anywhere. I've just had to get really, really good at keeping a poker face because he's really good because his mother is like this and his grandmother was like this. They're really good at throwing that jab that they know is going to send you over the edge and they don't crack a smile. 
So early on in, in my relationship with his mother, with his grandmother, with him, we would be places, almost always church, and they would say something that was going to make me fall apart. So then I learned how to act like I was so moved that I was crying. <laughs> so I just let myself laugh till I cried and people thought I was right. But our, that's a core value for us. We're going to laugh. We all laugh. Another core value for our relationship is you got to think. You got to have an opinion about something. So what are the core values? What would happiness look like for you? Do you even know? Because if you don't know, how can you be mad because you don't have it? All right, make a decision. What would it mean to me to be free financially? Because it doesn't mean the same thing to everybody. For some people to be free financially just means they don't have any credit card debt. They have the least amount of expenses as possible. You know, and if they don't get to do a whole bunch of stuff, they, they're, they're happy because they're free. That's not really my dream. I wouldn't try to talk you out of that if that was your dream. My dream, ain't, my dream of financial freedom is when I could just be like, whatever. Like right now. Like, like at the church. Let's go. Where are we going? Wherever, wherever we want to. That's my vision of freedom. Do you have a vision of freedom? How often do you rehearse it? And then here's the question. Are the steps you take daily moving you there? Are your daily steps taking you there? So, for example, there is back to marriage, because I'm using these two things interchangeably. You see this? Relationships and stuff. So there is a book called Love Dare, right? Is that the book? The love there, it's got all of these, the day, these challenges that husbands are supposed to do for their wives, and they're supposed to do it, right? Like, somebody wrote a whole book. No, really, because they did this to help men, because men aren't necessarily really good at this stuff. So somebody wrote a whole book and said, for X amount of days, here are the things you're supposed to do for your wife. Like, you don't have to know. We're going to tell you what to do. Just today, do this, Right? And then people, guys are like, I don't know what to do. Did you get the Love Dare book? I got it. Did you do the Love Dare book? I did some of it. Well, if the process is 21 days, but you did five days, that's not even an F. <laughs> I mean, do you understand what I'm saying? That's why you have to be honest with yourself. I tell a story all the time that my friend, she went on this diet. It was the HGC diet, the drop diet, right? When, whatever it is. When you everybody was taking them three drops, diets like that have never made sense to me. I'm just like, that doesn't work. I think you should either just be happy being chunky or you should eat less. That's just, I mean, it just, it just, it just doesn't, make, it doesn't make sense to me. Huh? Well, it's got to be easier than putting three drops in your food and you only supposed to eat a salad at 2 p.m. and whatever the case may be. Anyway, it had a very detailed plan. My friend gained five pounds on the diet. <laughs> so I'm like, how'd you gain weight? She was like, well, I did it exactly like it said. Well, except I went to McDonald's for breakfast 
And then they had a lunch for my coworker. Like that, that, but the truth of it is, is that that's how a lot of people think they're living life. You're like, I did exactly what the Lord told me to. You did one thing he told you to and 99 things he told you not to do. And you don't understand why it didn't work. It's like you ask me how to make my grandmother's pound cake, right? I tell you. And then what you say is, oh, I'm going to ask some so-and-so. I did everything you said, but it don't taste like your cake. You ain't make my cake. Success leaves clues. Number three, you got to get resourceful. We already talked about that. You got to become a student of success. In my life, I always want to know who's doing it the best. Somebody got a great marriage, I want to hang with people who got great marriages because I'm going to learn something just by hanging with them. Right? If somebody's doing well financially, if somebody can read the Bible without falling asleep, I want to talk to them. Because you know what you find out? The reason you fall asleep is because you got the King James. They're reading the New Living Translation or the Message Translation. So they actually, it can be something as simple as that. You're like, it's funny, last year, I really love English. So last year, Chase was in this class, and he had to read. What was the book y'all read? Was it Beowulf? What was the book you had to read? No, the book at the end. The Great Gatsby, right? So he read The Great Gatsby, and he was talking to me. We're just riding. He was talking to me about how he wondered how those people, like when they're asking for the themes in the book, like, how did everybody come up with the same thing? And I was like, like, babe, they're not making those things up out their head. They Googled those things. Your teacher is teaching from that. Your teacher isn't pulling that from her hip, right? But the problem is, is that if you don't know that the information that somebody is doing is readily available, you over there struggling. So this babe was staying up late at night trying to figure out the things. I'm like, look right here. Just Google it right here. Here are the things of the great gas. But the truth of it is, is that a lot of you live your lives in that kind of struggle. You struggling parenting. You won't ask nobody. Now you parenting like your parents parented, and you didn't think that worked, but now you doing it. You angry. You won't tell nobody. You depressed. You won't tell nobody. You broke. You won't tell nobody. You have to get resourceful. Who's doing it well? Number four, you have to control your environment. People who are committed to being happily married, the first people you must kick out of your life are people who are not committed to being happily married. I don't care if it's your best friend, your twin sister, your mama them. If you want to be happily married, the first people who got to go are the people who don't want to be happily married. You must get them out of your space because you become what you behold. Early on, Edwin and I had to decide we couldn't take advice from the people in our family about marriage. They did not have a marriage that we wanted. So who has a marriage like the marriage you want? And then you got to hang with them enough to make sure it's not Memorex. You got to hang with them modern times. You better hang with them long enough to make sure it's not a Facebook post. You got to hang with them long enough to know that this moment one pose, especially for Instagram. 
because I have been out with people, saw them take a picture and post it on Instagram, and I was like, when I was with y'all, y'all wasn't even sitting beside each other. So y'all scooted over there to take the picture so that people think I was happy. Why not just be do the work to be happy? Amen. Hey, you become what you behold. Be honest and self-reflective. You got to be honest and self-reflective. I started off talking about this. This is where we're going to get into the exercise. But you got to own that you are where you are because of you. You are where you are because of you. You are where you are because of you. I'm not talking about in some collective sense like if women are discriminated against or minorities are discriminated against. I'm talking about in your individual life, you are where you are because of you. So one of the most honest questions you could ask yourself is why do you like it so much that you stay? Why do you like it so much that you stay? Well, I don't like my job, but it's easier than doing the work to get the skills I would need to get to move to another job. So I just stay at my job and say how much I don't like it. Honest and self-reflective. We coming back to that one. Number six, then when you see all the stuff that honesty and self-reflection brings up, you got to forgive yourself. There is no point in being, like when, you, when the light bulb goes on and you go, oh my goodness, I'm broke because of me. <laughs> I did this. Oh, I'm in this bad relationship because of me. I'm always in drama because I'm messy. Then you got to forgive yourself. And then you also have to forgive whatever people influence to help you be wired that way. Like whatever you learned from your mama, from your daddy, from your neighborhood, from your church, you have to forgive it. I can remember when my grandmother was diagnosed with cancer um, and I was in the place where I was transitioning. I grew up very traditionally Baptist. We never saw anybody get healed. They went to the sick and shut-in list that we read from the back of the program. They didn't come off till they died. That, that was pretty much it. I don't know if anybody went to a church like that, but and as the church got older, the sick and shut-in list grew longer, and we just read their names in prayer, and we asked the Lord to stop by there. Right. <laughs> am, am I tell- now, this may not be everybody's experience, but anybody who grew up, do you know what I'm talking about? Lord, I want to ask you to go by and stop by and visit Sister Brown in the hospital. Touch Sister McCrary at the house. I bet she wanted to come to church today, but she couldn't. So we, I didn't grow up seeing people get healed. I grew up in an environment where literally, if the doctor couldn't help you, you go die. Now, you might die slow, but you will go die. So when I first started being introduced to information about healing, like with people just very simply saying, why do you think that Jesus made it important that it was in the Bible that he healed people? Now, I mean, it, why did that make the cut? 
out of all the things that could have made the cut, why does all the healing make the cut? So anyway, when my grandmother was sick with cancer and I was kind of transitioning, but I didn't really know enough about healing and how to walk in it. But I did. I was starting to learn that it was stuff you weren't supposed to pray for people if you was believing for their recovery. Like, take them soon, Jesus. Like, that's not like, <laughs> like that wasn't the stuff that you were supposed to pray if we was believing God for a miracle. And when I, when my grandmother passed, I spent about a year being very angry that I had spent my whole life in churches that didn't believe in the power of God. But the problem is that being angry didn't help me learn how to walk in the power of God. So I had to forgive them and just say, in reality, most people teach you how to do the best they know how to do. They taught, so I began to celebrate them for what they did teach me. They taught me that Jesus was the way to the Father. They taught me that it was important to read my Bible. They taught me that it was important to go to church. So sometimes in life, instead of just rehearsing what you didn't get from somebody, you should just stop and be thankful for, like, it, listen, this is true. I've told people this. Even if you had a horrible mother, here is what you could thank God for. You didn't get aborted. That's real. Now, some like what what you didn't get aborted. You still got the opportunity to live. Maybe it wasn't the best life, but now you're in a situation that you can change that. How do you know that you would be as diligent about being a good parent if you hadn't had the parent that you had? Because sometimes what you learn from people is what not to do. So you just forgive them. And here's the thing, because let's do this. This is really important. One of the things that has really, really helped me is to be like the truth of it is, is that most people injure us out of their own brokenness. Like your dad didn't do that because you were you. He did it because he was him. And if you watch people who inflict injury on people like that, you'll think it's you. But if you talk to enough people who deal with them, that's what they do. Because hurt people hurt people, hurt people. Which is the reason that when we talked about what your biggest fear about love was, it's so important for you to address that. Because whatever your fear is, that's the pain you inflict on other people. If you're, if you're afraid that you're going to be rejected, you can't help but keep the kind of distance from people. So then now the person that you love the most thinks that you don't really want to be with them because you're always keeping distance from them. But the distance isn't about them, it's about you. This could really free you. Like, it could free you. And you could realize that many, 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 many of the sicknesses that people have, they have because of unforgiveness towards somebody or themselves. All right. So we're going we're gonna to do five and six together today. Seven, practice Thanksgiving. I love that the praise team came in and had a lot of songs about that. I'm going to be thankful. Now, that goes back to the forgiveness thing. Man, I really appreciate my parents because they did this. I really appreciate, I used to be, there was a period of time in my life where I didn't understand why my mother 
did not raise me while my grandmother raised me. But as I got older, I got the opportunity to be thankful for that. To be like on a serious note, I appreciate her for at least knowing that she did not have the skill set to do the job. Just think if you would just release all of that because most people are just, most people are living in their own brokenness. And especially when you think about like family members and people you got injury with and stuff, I'll never forget, um, I was talking to my spiritual father one day and he said, if you feel that way about them, what do you think they feel about themselves? Because especially as you get older, you're able to reflect on the decisions that you made. People know. Forgive them. Forgive yourself. Practice Thanksgiving. Number eight, you got to take consistent action. You have to take consistent action. So one of the things that Pastor Edwin and I did to learn how to fight fair, because we're not necessarily fair fighters in conflict. It's not necessarily how we're wired. Like, we're both wired. We were talking about it when we were doing the exercise on Sunday. We were saying, we're both wired to get you up off me as fast as possible. That's really the goal. In conflict for me, it's like if we're in conflict, I'm going to back you up off me as fast as I can, which means I'm going to say stuff. Like, like everybody dancing around, slapping. Let's go ahead and hit this juggler so you'll go ahead and walk away from me because I'm done with this, right? So we had to learn how to argue in front of people. So we got a group of friends, and Nitra and Ralph and April, and we would go to their house, and we would have something we couldn't work through, and we would start to work through it, and we would start to talk, and, and then, like, it's so funny, and then Nitra would go, she would go, well, um, that right there, <laughs> that, let's, let's try that again. Like, we're, we're, we were their pastors, but we still gave them permission to be able to give us feedback about an interaction. Because if we working through it and we not working through it, then we clearly need somebody to help us work through it. We still, even when we're not arguing, if we're at an impasse, we like, wait a minute, let's get the crew. What y'all think? Work us through. If you don't have people that you're letting in your life, I, listen, that is different from when I go in the room and call Nitra privately and he don't know that we had a conversation. That's not the same thing as we go come here, we go sit here, you go tell your side, she go tell her side, and then we go work through it. But you can't do that if you still got number one, pride. All right. So we made a consistent action of doing that. So then we teach our kids to do it the same way. And it's funny because now what I'm seeing when I look at Taylor, I'm looking at Taylor be able to articulate her position down to the T. But that comes from all the times when she would say something and we'd be like, but you, you got to be able to articulate a reason. You can't be like, I feel like such and such. Why do you feel like that? I don't know. No, no, no. Try again. You do know. Dig it up. Let's dig it up. Let's do the work. You do know. So now I'm watching her be able to articulate a position. And even when people push back on her, she still is confident in what she believes because before she spit it out, she processed it and that is what happens when you let people start hearing you say what you really say at home 
This is the truth. I always say this. One of the best things that ever happened in our life is that Tamara and Chris came to live with us. Because most of y'all are two sets of people. Most of you are two sets of people. But the great thing is that Chris came to live with us the week Caleb turned one. And what we couldn't be is these people who were this way in church and somewhere else at home because it was going to impact her and her relationship with God. Well, what if you thought that how you are at home and how you are at church is going to impact your kids' relationship with God? Because most of you got a church public face and a home face. You got a work face. Now, you don't cuss your boss out, but you cuss your spouse. Ooh, right. Ooh, yeah, no, ooh. Ooh, you don't cuss. No, no, this good church right here, this good church. You don't cuss your boss, but you cuss your spouse. And when you call me and tell me the story, you don't cuss. And if you do, you apologize. But you cuss them without an apology, no filter. Everybody take a big, deep breath. Exhale. Because this is the stuff that when we don't talk about it, it's the reason people get divorced. It's the reason we grow up with kids who be like, I ain't going to church. For what? I watched all y'all. I watched what happened when y'all went to church and then when everybody hung out at the house, how you cussed at everybody, how you drank, how you smoked a little weed in the garage and thought we didn't know. I watched you do all of that. So consistent action helps you get rid of those multiple personalities. This is true. Everybody has multiple personalities. We only talk about it when they're disruptive. Everybody has multiple personalities. Your goal should be to become one person. To be one person. To treat your spouse and your kids with the same honor you treat your boss with. To be as transparent with your spouse about who they are as you are with your friends about who they are. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Somebody like, I wish we had an organ so we could just shout now and go home. Yeah, no. No. Some of you, not all of you, but some of you have spent your life in churches getting emotionally fixed, going home, living raggedy lives. You love Jesus, but your life raggedy. And your life is not raggedy because you don't love Jesus. Your life is raggedy because your thinking is raggedy. Married people, stop. Just exercise, think about it. Your interaction with your spouse, what kind of spouse are they teaching your kid to pick? What from watching you and your spouse interact? Because we become what we behold. So you can tell your daughter all day long that she should pick a man that honors her and does all of these things. But if she see you dishonor her mama, she go pick somebody just like you. 
So just think about it. Based on your relationship with your spouse, because I know some of y'all have been to church long enough that you're educated, you don't curse each other. So what you do is silent treatment. So are you teaching your kids that part of love is that it's okay to shut off when you upset? It's okay to withhold your affection. It's okay to not let somebody hug you. It's okay for you to get up and leave the house. All right, they looking at me all mean. I'm looking at me. I'm just trying to. Let's take it a step further. The relationship you're in right now. Would you approve if your daughter or son wanted to marry that kind of person? Or would you be somewhere in a scene, face on the floor, fasting? I'm not talking about all the stuff your kids see you do. I'm talking about if we look at the interaction, bare-naked interaction between you and the person you are with, would you want your daughter or son to marry that or you? Would that be okay? I mean, you know, them little lies that you tell. Would that be okay? That money that you spend, would that be cool? You all right? No, because think about it. You're a woman and you take money and you hide it or you buy stuff and stick it in the back of the closet so you can say whenever they ask you if you got it, when did you get it? I've been had this. Would you want a woman to do your son like that? You care more about your truck than helping your wife out around the house. Would you want a daughter like that to be married to a man like that? Selah, meditate on this. Govern yourselves accordingly. Those issues that you want to address and deal with, you want your kid to be having that conversation with you when, you 20, when they 25? You want your kid to be angry and not know why they're angry because you've never fit? You want your kid to be a victim and not know why they allow people victimize them to, because they watch you be a victim so long? That's, that's what you want? You want your kids, you know that if you, people think millennials are lazy, they're not. If you talk to most millennials, the message is this. We will not do what our parents did. We will not work at jobs we hate and never be with our families. So we see them and we go, you're not as hard working and you're not as dedicated. They like, we are as hard working and we are as dedicated. We're just not going to give our soul to something that doesn't feed our soul. They learn that from the generation that raised them. They learned it from the generation that raised them. So, because in self-reflection, people always want to be reflecting to other people. What about you? What are you going to change? Where are you stuck? When your daughters look at you, do they see that you have healthy friendships? Or when you're riding in the car with them and you think they're not listening, do you talk with one friend and then get off the phone and talk about another friend? They listening. They paying attention. When you're watching your favorite show and your kids try to talk to them, 
Do you snap on them? If your TV show is that important, get a, get a thing where you can pause it. Pause it. Those are things we're talking about when we look at the problems that we have and the things that are going on. We got to be honest about where we are. What lessons are we teaching our kids? It's funny because Pastor Edwin and I, years ago, we went to this, um, we went to this conference in Portland, Oregon, and the man there, his name is Pastor Larry Huck. You can look him up. He was absolutely life-changing for us. Pastor Larry Huck spent all this time talking about how he had an anger issue. And so because he had an anger issue, he was very abusive to his wife. Well, he had an anger issue because he had been severely abused by his parents, right? So... He knocked his wife down the steps when she was seven months pregnant. That was the wake-up call for him. And praise the Lord, they, they still together. According to her, he's never hit her again. They've, he's helped all these people with anger, whatever the case may be. But he had us do this exercise when we were there. He was like, if you know you struggle with anger, if you know you're an angry person, I want you to come and be baptized. He took like the hotel swimming pool. He said, and what you're going to do is you're going to believe that when you go down, the anger is broken off of your life. And when you come up, you're free from that. So Pastor and I was like, like, because by then we're like really, really trying to change our life. And even though we're trying to change our life, we still got these patterns that we go back into. We, we pretty good as long as we both controlled. But the moment one of us isn't controlled, it reverts back to when we was 22 or 23 years old. And so we do this baptism. Look, it absolutely changed my life. One of the things I learned is that a lot of times when people are angry, you're not just angry, you have a spirit of rage. And one of the ways you can identify a spirit of rage is that you can feel yourself getting mad about stuff you know isn't that big a deal. Like you so mad and you know it's not that big of a deal. Anyway, so we do this exercise that changed our lives. But we still, so we had something supernatural that happened that broke rage out of our life. We still had to learn how to talk to each other. The problem with church people sometimes is just like, pray for me, pray about this. Like God isn't going to come in and make you learn how to communicate better. You got to learn what things not to say in an argument. And if you're dealing with a person who, de- who deals with rejection, and every time you get in an argument you talk about leaving, you're only further rooting that fear of rejection and fear of loss, which then triggers all this other stuff. You cannot leave. You cannot use leaving as a tool of manipulation. Fix the stuff. All right, so we're going to go back to five. We're going to do five and six, and we're going to be done. Can y'all give me about 20 more minutes? If you can't, you can leave. Uh. (laughs) So we did this exercise. Number five, it was about be honest and be self-reflective. So now we are going to identify it. We're going to do two of them. We're going to make them a little more specific. Okay? Last week I asked the question, I said, your biggest fear about love is people filled in the blank. We're going to do the same kind of thing, just the question is different. Are you ready? My biggest fear about 
being completely transparent is. You could, you could sit, switch if you want to authentic. My, my biggest fear about being completely authentic, because we're talking about merging all these different personalities you got, right? So my biggest fear about becoming completely authentic, because remember we talked about in Psalms 139, that God, that you're fearfully and wonderfully made, and he wants to get rid of all of the stuff that life taught you so that all of the stuff that he made you can be revealed. My biggest fear around being completely authentic is... Anybody want to share? Okay. Judgment. So what does fear of judgment cause you to do? Keep it to yourself. So is it fair to say that a lot of times when people interact with you, they're not actually interacting with the real you? So you remember last week when you talked about your biggest fear about love? Maybe part of the reason that you attract the people you attract is because the real you doesn't show up. So, in this kind of the problem though, stay with me. In this kind of the problem though, so you show up and try to be who you think we want you to be, right? But then as you get more comfortable, the real you comes out anyway, right? So wouldn't it be better to let us judge you up front so you could determine whether we the kind of people you want to be with. So instead of letting us pick you, you pick us. Does that make sense? Like I'm thinking about this, I've done a lot of work to integrate all of me. Like it used to be really, really fragmented. I went to law school. I lived in a primarily black community, you know, I, I, but I went to my kids went to school in a prim primarily white community. So I got these things that are working, right? And when I was at the Business Women's Conference the other week, I was like, all my stuff is merged. I don't tone down. I don't modify. I don't do any of that. Now, don't get me wrong. I think there are some things that, that are intimate that everybody doesn't get to know about you. I'm not saying that you got to get up and every time you tell a story, you're like, I'm so-and-so, and I was such-and-such when I was five years old. I'm not talking about that. But I'm saying that because I'm not afraid of being rejected, I just get to show up. When I, when I first started pastoring, listen, because if anybody want to put you in bondage, it is people who go to church. <laughs> Nobody got more bondage for you than people who go to church. When Ellen first started pastoring, baby, listen, they want me to wear hats. I'm 27. They got me dressed like I'm 43. Old woman hairstyle, trying to live for the Lord. And just one day I was just like, no, this is true. One day I looked myself in the mirror and I said, girl, you look a mess. <laughs> I did. I said, girl, you look a mess. I'm, listen, I'm going to show y'all. I got a picture when we first got in ministry. You know them pictures you see of first ladies and pastors? We got one of them, baby. They had me all, got my little gray suit on, sitting there, like, look a mess. <laughs> And then I was just like, I was like, well, here's the problem. When I first started doing that, everybody wanted to have a meme with me. First lady. 
That's before I was pastor. Like, I just, you know, you a little too loud. Don't, don't you, I used to play the piano. I can play the piano. Used to play really good. They'd be like, you should play for your husband. No. <laughs> that ain't what I do. You know what? You the, the first lady, she ought to work with the kids. I barely like my own kids. I'm not going back there. I had to start telling myself the truth. And you know one of the biggest testimonies that comes out of this church is when some woman sends me a message and says, because you're so free, I can be myself. That's when I know I'm winning. When you get to show up and you don't think, oh, Sean cut our hair. Let's cut my hair. Like, no, we should not all have our short, a short blonde haircut. That does not make sense. But you can go to churches where people are so bright, and you can just look and you go like, that's the first lady. Now, everybody look like that. That's the pastor. Now, everybody look like that. Like, that, that's so, because here's the reality. Here's why your freedom is so important. You cannot usher others into a place you have not been in. Harriet Tubman freed herself, and then she went back. But as long as you live in inauthentically, even if your kids aren't modifying like you are, they still modifying. And then what happens is that when we aren't real, then we attract fake people to us, and then we like, I wonder why I get all these fake people in my life, because you fake. You attract mannequins because you are one. <laughs> all right, so you can work with all this. So how would your life change if you started being authentic? You could leave. You could say, you know what? It's not me, it's you. We're not working. <laughs> Anybody else who had that same issue? What would happen if you were more authentically you? How would that help? <laughs> you see what happened when we talked? <laughs> but what if just up front when somebody did something, instead of getting a snap point, you just addressed it? It would. <laughs> Are you going to try that this week? <laughs> <laughs> She ain't seem like she was sure. I'm like, she just told, all right, any, somebody else, and then we're going to move to the next. All right.
How's that working for you? <laughs> what would happen if you just said, because when, ta- when we talk about being open, again, we're not talking about you having an intimate, close, personal relationship with everybody that you meet. You having a powerful exchange at Starbucks with the barista. That's not what we're talking about, right? <laughs> but how would your life change if you gave people a chance to get to know you? So how is all them shallow friendships working for you? Many, right. But would, would you like many? Because, I mean, we seem to be talking about this because this is where you're going. Would you like many? So why don't you let the people see you so you can decide whether they deserve to be in your space or not? It's scary. Is, it, is the fear of that greater than the freedom that you say you want? So, then what Joyce Meyer says is do it afraid. Nitra, she want, Nitra want to say something. Because you want people to be in the proper place in your life. Right? So if we can't, if, if the real me scares you, then that means you don't deserve to share that kind of space with me because I should not always be having to modify who I am to, be, to share space with you. So, right, it's, listen, T.D. Jake said this thing. I'll come right back to you. T.D. Jake said this thing. It changed my life. He said, the Bible says, how can two walk together unless they agree? And he said, one of the most uncomfortable things it is to do is to walk with someone who doesn't keep your rhythm. One of the most absolutely frustrating things it is to do, if you try to go exercise or just take a leisurely walk with somebody and you don't share a rhythm, it makes the work, the walk so much work. So you do everybody in your world a favor when you walk your real rhythm. Right. It will. It'll, the more authentic you get, she said to keep it simple, just be the best you you can be. And the shortcomings, you don't have to lie about them. You just acknowledge them. Right? And then you, and as you get freer, I'm going to go to you and then I'll come back to you. And as you get freer, those things will... Uh, because a lot of your shortcomings are really your defense mechanisms, right? So the, less, so the more I get authentic, the less I have to defend. So then the shortcomings aren't showing up as well. The truth of it is, is that most people who lie, lie for fear of rejection or trouble. When I stop being afraid of being rejected or getting in trouble, I lose the need to lie. So instead of trying to monitor and control myself from lying, all I got to do is be free because if I tell my truth, then I don't have to lie. 
Now, let me say this, and then you and you. What I will say is that one of the things that I do, because I know that I am, um, like, my personality is dominant, right? So one of the things that I try to be really clear about, like if I'm engaging with somebody and their personality isn't as dominant, I try to let them know that if I am being aggressive, that the aggression is not toward them. Like, I'm just passionate. This is just how I talk. If we start debating about something, I'm going to move my body. I'm going to do all of that stuff. I'm going to ask you where you got your facts from. It ain't personal. And if I know that that's sensitive for you, I won't do it with you. But then when you say to me, why don't you talk to me like you talk to Tamara? I'll say because you're too sensitive. And now we can just tell the truth. It's like, now let's just deal with the truth. This is who I'm going to be. I'm not always going to be this aggressive, but if I get really passionate about something and when I'm debating about something, I'm not thinking a lot about whether it's going to make you cry because my goal isn't to make you cry. It's, I'm just having a conversation. So then your authenticity has to be like, Pastor Sean, when you did this, when you said this, because maybe the truth that you would have to say is that when, when someone engages me that way, I got intimidated because I wasn't as well prepared in what I believed as they did. All right. So part of building healthy relationships is communicating about expectations. So for me, especially in new relationships, I'll say like, hey, I'm really passionate. I can be really aggressive. I'm really strong-willed. Hey, if that's too much for you, even if you can't say it to my face, because, you know, people don't always like this if they think you're aggressive, you can text me. You can say, hey, when well, we had that exchange... This is how I felt about it. But I think the other thing is that you, we have to make other people, we have to realize that everybody has their own power. And we have to give them the power to be free too. So in my freedom, I'm not trying to stifle your freedom. I'm encouraging you to be free too. So now let's renegotiate what this looks like. Taylor and I are an interesting combination because her, she's passive aggressive. That's she working on it. And I'm, I'm aggressive, right? So... Our exchanges would be like, she, like Taylor is the person who like say, okay, you, she cool, and then she let the air out your tires. Like she didn't really do that to me, but, but she's that kind of person, okay? And so we've had to do a lot of work on how we negotiate through space, especially as she is becoming a woman and an adult, because I'm not trying to stifle her, but I'm like, hey, this, I tell everybody this who real, real close to me, right? Like, I always make this reference. I'm like, in my family, it's two people we don't join on. 
We don't join on Jordan because Jordan don't never join on nobody. And we don't join on Chris. Because until she married the valley, she didn't join on anybody, right? <laughs> but what I tell my kids all the time is like this. Like if, you in, like if they see me and their dad engaging a certain way and they jump in the banter, I'm like, I, I just, I'd be like, I'd be like, so you a big dog today? Because I need to know what we're dealing with. Because I don't want to be having to hug you and come wipe your tears later. Like, are we doing this? <laughs> and then, so, and so my kids, sometimes they be like, no, my bad. <laughs> and sometimes as the boys get older, because they want to see what their, what their bantering skills are, right? Then they jump in, especially Caleb. And as Caleb gets better in debate, he gets but Caleb then forces me to learn how to be more skillful in debate without going to my high school days of going to the juggler because he's my kid and I don't want to break him. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? So I'm not asking them not to be themselves. So, we, so typically I know that Taylor, if Taylor has an issue with me, she's going to have to step back process it, then she's going to text me and tell me what the issue is. Caleb goes stand there toe-to-toe. -to -toe. Like, I almost be like, am I going to have to take him today? Like, he go, like he, he doesn't have, he's enough like us, he doesn't have any bad down in him. So he's like, so like if you're ever talking to Caleb and you feel like Caleb is being disrespectful to you, he's probably not trying to be disrespectful to you. He's like, you've engaged him, you put some facts out there, those facts are wrong, and he don't care that you're an adult, he's not going to let you get away with it. So if you're the kind of adult that doesn't like for kids to talk to you like that, you need to tell him and you need to not engage him. Do you see what I'm saying? It's that that's the freedom that it is. All right, Valdez, you want to say something? Then we go wrap up, guys. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> so just so you're free, we want to set you in a level of freedom. No. Until you own it yourself, no. No. Now, but what you can learn how to do is how to frame your authenticity within the environment you work in. That takes skill. All you do is when you're, listen, this is real simple. When I was in law school, my law school professor said to me, she said, we're going to go a lot of places. You're going to see a lot of stuff that you haven't seen before. When you're in this space, pay attention to the culture. You can succeed in any culture if you pay attention to the culture. So you, when, when I'm first in an environment, I'm paying attention to the dynamics. 
I want to know who talk a lot, who don't talk, who watch and tell everything. I want to know who really got the power in the room. I, 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 I don't share nothing until I see all of those things come to place. And then, that's where, like, really, life is just a good game. It's a good card game. It's like you make them bid before you bid. And so you just, it really is the same kind of, it's, it's the same game of the streets. That's what people don't realize, that most things are transferable. It's the same, when, when you were in the streets, right? You understand who the movers, who the people who talk too much. You understand all of that. It's the same thing. You got the skill set. And just because people go to college don't mean they got it. They are the people least likely to have it, the people who just went to college. All right. So here's our last question, and then we're done. Get ready to get your offering. Is this helping you guys? Yes. Like, can you use this stuff? Yes. <laughs> well, if you can't use it, it's because you don't want to. <laughs> so, Who would you really be and what would you accomplish if you were free? Now, remember when I started this, I talked about how important it is to think like God because everything that looks like freedom isn't. So you might be like, if I was free, girl, I just, I'd cuss everybody. But see, but the problem is... <laughs> It goes against 1 Corinthians 13. You see what I'm saying? But if you were really free, if you really let God do all the work, if you let God do the work, help you do the work about your money, how you feel about love, how you feel about relationships, how you feel about work, who would you really be and what would you accomplish? I'm not going to even ask you to answer that to me. I'm going to ask you to think about what that means. For me, I see it like this. In every place that I've grown up, it's given me the ability to lead somebody else to freedom in a way. Right? So I'm the first person from my family who graduates from college. It then inspires people in my family who had dropped out to go back and finish college. Right? My grandmother, first person who built her home, it made me know I always intended to have a house that I never intended to rent for 25, 30 years, that that's not a part of my plan. So whatever, so all you got to do is think and go, in my family, in my life, who are the people that because of their example, it changed what I thought was possible in life, right? And if I did these things, if I really fixed my marriage, if I really valued myself and attracted a healthy relationship, if I really made myself do the work to find out what kind of work I really wanted to do and did that work, what would that set for my kids as a reality? Because here was a really cool thing. When we asked the question last week, I said, what is your biggest fear about money? I was taking Chase to football practice. Chase said, I don't have no fear about money. 
He said, because my whole life, I can't think of nothing I wanted or needed and didn't have. That changes what possibilities are for you. So then let's say God gives him an idea to build a multi-million dollar company. He's not struggling with it because even though he's in his mind, like money is always there. So he doesn't approach a God-given dream talking about how there's no money. Why does this matter? Because your life is a light for the kingdom. Your life is a light for the kingdom. Your marriage becomes a testimony to somebody that they can be happily married. You raising your kids well through their teenage years becomes a testimony to somebody else that you ain't got to be going through with your kids. I tell people this all the time. I love my kids as teenagers. Like, I don't dislike them. Like, people be like, oh, I'll be so glad when they get out of the house. Like, I love when Taylor comes home and brings a friend. I was thinking, man, I can't wait till, like, we're going to get another house so it'll be more room for more people to come. Like, I love being able to engage with Brian and Chase and Caleb in those stages. Why? But some of it comes because we did not buy into the myth that the teenage years had to be bad years. Our last terribles was them twos. Them twos got us. But after that, it's been all uphill. It's good. If you think marriage has to be this work relationship where we just putting up with each other for the sake of the kids, that's what you go attract. Man, you should want to be in love with your spouse. You should, let, let me, you should want to like your spouse. Not just love, but like. Like, I would pick to hang with Strick. I'd just pick him first. He's the funniest person I know. I'd pick him first. If you can't say that about your spouse, you need to do some work. And if, you're, and if your spouse tells you something like that, you need to be open to hear why they feel that way and what you can do to change it. What is being financially free set up for your kids? I, I think about this all the time. I wonder how many people work the wrong job because their family could not afford to expose them to their gifting. Because they didn't have the money for piano lessons or ballet lessons or art lessons or to send them to camp. I wonder how many people selected a job because the goal was just to make money, and then the goal is sucking the life out of them. So part of my financial goal is that, like, if you got a dream you want to try, let's try it. You think you want to be an ice skater? Let's go. You might not last three days, but that's all right. I'm going to give you a chance to try it. You think you can draw? Let's draw. I'll go buy you the supplies. You think you want to sew? Let's get a sewing machine. Why? Because I don't want my kids to grow up and just be working at a job that they don't like, and then it's coming and it's impacting their family. Because I'm going to tell you this, guys, for the last time. If you work a bad job, you don't just work a bad job. Your family work a bad job with you. Because the fact that you are miserable oozes out on them. So, but if you have a core belief that work is just about making money and that you should tolerate anything, you will. All right. Anybody got any questions before we do the offering? 